Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. You know, I love being able to do what I do. But more importantly, I love being in conversation with other people that love doing what they do. You know, I was just talking on an earlier show today about, and was actually interviewed on a, on, a, on Dr. Diane's show today, and I was asked a number of questions. And what I called out was, you know, we are seeing the best of us and perhaps maybe the worst of us. But what we really are seeing is humanity. And sometimes we disagree with each other. Sometimes we come together. But what I've come to know and love about who we are is whatever we think we are, we're much more than that. I learned that from Matt James. And today, how do we get to be that? How do we get to be more? How do we get to be more than what we think we are? Well, I know for me, in my life, especially through my 20s and 30s, almost every weekend I was pounding the streets of New York City or other places in the spirit of what? In the spirit of rights, in the spirit of fighting for things, in the spirit of marching for things, in the spirit of bringing troops home from Vietnam, in the spirit of dot, 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 fill in the blank. We saw a lot of that this summer. But the question really becomes, What is it that we are not aware of, even to the point where we don't need or don't know that there's something that we could stand for? About five weeks ago, I told all of you that one of the most important legislation bills for women ever pretty much to hit the Senate outside of amendments to the Constitution and rights for women blew by everyone no one really saw. Women across this country didn't know that their moment to get equal pay was gone. But how many other things do we not know? That's why, you know, Scott Shea is joining me here today. There are things in the world that go right by us. And how is that even happening as we are in some of the most connected vehicles for communicating? ever. How do we not know something? Scott is a leading businessman, a thought leader, the author of two incredibly read books, co-founder and chairman of Signature Bank, well known as one of the best banks in New York. My heart, as I said on the last show, is really going out for a number of New Yorkers as we speak, literally taking pals and bailing themselves out of one of the most how should I call it, angry of rains that has hit the East Coast in a long time. But here he is, you know, someone that is studied, someone that understands management, someone that understands, you know, who he is, a leader in the Jewish community, an Advent student of religion, 
And he's joining me here today because, again, we're talking about something that I believe very few people know about. Very few people know about it. And if we keep letting some of these things that we could know about blow by us, and I could get onto my soapbox now, but I won't. But if we keep letting them blow by us, an Equal Fair Pay Act, whatever you want to call it, if we keep letting that happen, before you know it, we're changing the landscape of who we are, our rights, and what we really care about. Today, we're going to talk about conspiracy you, but we're also going to talk about in good faith as well. Scott, it's great to have you here. Dr. Pat, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me on your show. You bet. I want to talk about, I want to talk, I grew up in the Bronx. I grew up in New York uh, and then New Jersey most of my adult life and prior to moving out here, the West Coast. You know, there's just something about growing up on the East Coast and especially in New York where, you know, the education you get about diversity and people is just unprecedented. It really is. But there are so many things that we are not aware of. There are so many things that even in the world of social media, we're just not on board with. Hence, here you are, and you're bringing a new level of awareness. I want to ask you this question. There is inside of you, your why. Why was writing in good faith pivotal for you? Why is conspiracy you pivotal for you? Scott, what's your why? Well, here's the thing. If you know one thing about me, Hmm. one important thing to know is that I am the son of a Holocaust survivor. So my father in 1941 was was just shy of 14 when the Nazis came in to his town, Svexner, Lithuania. And they murdered his father, they murdered his brothers, they murdered his aunts, his uncles, and just about all of his cousins. My closest relative on his side is a second cousin once removed. And then my father was sent to a work camp, the Svetlund Heidekrug work camp, and then to Auschwitz, and then he was sent on cleanup duty to the Warsaw Ghetto, which ended up saving his life because he, if he remained in Auschwitz, he would have been dead. He would have been gassed. He would have been murdered. And he was liberated from Dachau. When he was liberated from Dachau, he was less than 70 pounds. And he had the good fortune, the tremendous fortune, and, and he was grateful for this in his entire life, to be liberated by the Americans. And so when he got to Chicago, which is where I grew up, to East Rogers Park, and was able to get married, have a son, he knew that there were many, many miracles, small miracles that got him there. If you were one step forward, one step behind, one step to the side, either way. And the crazy thing is, I'm not exaggerating, he would have been dead. And so my father always struggled with with some of these, with the question of how can people do such evil in the world? And how did something like the Holocaust come to be? It didn't happen suddenly on one summer day in June of 1941. It took a lot of preparation intellectually. It took a lot of preparation so that all of his Lithuanian neighbors just stood by, not only stood by, but handed in the their Jewish neighbors. I mean, Svexner mm-hmm. was a town with a, probably 25% uh, Jewish or more, and yet they were all handed in. So this why, this that, that's really motivated a lot of a lot of my intellectual journey in my life, both 
religiously and intellectually. I want to ask you this question because I work with women across the country. I mentor, I coach, and I made a statement before I introduced you. And I don't want it to go lightly. And the statement that I made was that, and this is this is a truism for, for you to know, majority of both men and women in this country were not aware that their right for equal pay was on the table and was denied. That's how quickly that blew by. You know, my greatest concern in what you and I are talking about today, and believe me, I've asked people, my greatest concern is that we forget. We really forget the horrific well, acts that occurred. We forget, and it's even to a certain degree, I don't want to say it's worse than forgetting because there's nothing worse than forgetting. Yeah, it's kind of worse, but, though. Yeah, that's, <laughs> kind of really there, is. There's bad things, but there's what what is what is evil. Forgetting can at least be inadvertent, but today, and what I do in in the book Conspiracy You, and this is this was something that was 20 months of research, basically all of my discretionary free time. Whenever I had a spare moment, I I spent time reading and researching. Was that on campuses today? conspiracy theories are masquerading as mm. scholarship. And I don't use the word conspiracy theories in a rhetorical way. I'm talking about actual conspiracy theories where there's no evidence or just strange anomalies that are explained by uh, that, that mushroom into, into, into theories about peoples and identity groups. And that generally have political motivations. And these are being recycled and re, uh, and not even recycled. Some of them are recycled from, frankly and strangely, old Soviet on the one side and neo and Nazi conspiracy theories on the other side. And then are heavily, uh, you know, and you had mentioned footnotes. Well, if you're footnoting and your, your sources are, are bad sources, it doesn't help the footnoting. Because some folks who are creating conspiracy theories keep citing each other and making stuff up, literally. And I show in the book how people are literally making stuff up. And it's not just harsh criticism. Harsh criticism is harsh criticism and maybe unwarranted criticism and maybe false criticism. But this is even worse. This is where identity groups and a lot of the and a lot of the theories, and this has been found by Jewish and non-Jewish um, students or scholars and conspiracy theories. A lot of them revolve around Jews, that somehow Jews or Zionists are conspiring on the far right. They claim with people of color to oppress whites, and on the far left, they the Jews Zionists are conspiring with white supremacists to uh, to oppress people of color. So just about the exact opposite. And here's the thing. They're publishing books that are that are that are coming from Duke University Press, Stanford University Press, some of the best universities, some of the best academic presses, and no one's actually checking if any of this stuff makes any sense. And when you stop someone for 10 seconds and say, think this through, 
does what's being said here make any sense? The answer is frequently no. Mm. On the far right, and I'll just I'll, I'll just finish with this. On the far right, I cite a tenured professor who argues that uh, Jews somehow planted all the evidence about the Holocaust, that the, the, yeah. the running deaths of Jews, it was just a minor typhoid outbreak, that they somehow convinced the Germans to confess to all of this. And it was all done so that they could get Palestine and, and, and have a sovereign country. By the way, I cite a storied academic on the far left who says essentially the same thing. Again, being published by a well-known, in the case of the person on the far left, being published by a well-known academic press. But this is, let me just, let's just stay with this for a minute, because there are those of us that grew up in the city, and we would take people to the Holocaust Museum, or we would make an effort to provide a level of awareness you know, we would at least have conversations about this. And I can't tell you that there are so many references to our history that are just being hidden and masked by some level of untruth. And that's what you're describing here, right, Scott? What you're yep, describing yep. is the degree by with untruth is being transmitted and distributed to completely, how should I say, overshadow the reality of truth. And boy, I tell you, for those of us that have people that went through those wars, that went through the Holocaust, that went through the suffering and the pain, and, and here's my reference to people. If you want to forget, you know, if, you, if you're thinking that this you just don't want to remember this. Go read something by Viktor Frankl. Right. You know, if you don't, if you don't have a sense of the graphic reference to what we're talking about and how close, how close energetically we're coming in today's world to this, then take a moment and do a little of your own research. Because, you know, what you did, Scott, is you've put together a new level of awareness, not just in this book, but in other books. But we are faced with a little bit of a dilemma, if I could say. And the dilemma I yes. think we're faced with, unless people like you continue to do what you're doing and continue to write and continue to be out there in the world and continue to speak, the dilemma we're being faced with is that untruth and lies will overshadow the reality of suffering that actually did happen and the level of prejudice and the level of genocide. And I mean, I could go on, but somehow we've got to get back to the level of education, information, and conversation that gave us this level of awareness to begin with, don't you think? I do. I think the problem today is that theories are being allowed to negate facts. So the one thing I found in investigating these conspiracy theories mm -hmm. is that whenever an objection is raised, <laughs> and I've literally done this myself with mm -hmm. people, with conspiracy theory advocates, and I'm blown away by it because it's hard to even understand how mm -hmm. these people are thinking. Whenever you raise an objection, they just create a further conspiracy theory or explain it away by saying that the target group, and in this case, Jews, mm -hmm. are so good that explains how they've covered up 
So for example, when it comes to Zionist plots, as they these conspiracy theories regarding Zionists, they say that, oh, Israel is assisting in uh, and they did. They assisted in Haiti. They've assisted in Dominican Republic. They've assisted all over the world in, in rescue operations. Now they assist the Palestinians in healthcare too. Mm. So there's a conspiracy theory that Israelis are mining, are harvesting organs. That's why they're doing it. Or somehow because Israel has granted asylum to some gay and lesbian Palestinian advocates that Israel's pinkwashing. So whatever they do become somehow part of the conspiracy and it just enlarges so the conspiracy grows and grows and grows and it becomes in a way like you know in a way sort of like QAnon or mm-hmm. other conspiracies that just whatever problem comes up then it's covered over you know yeah. when 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 the, the Trump was Q but when he lost mm-hmm. that became part of the conspiracy mm-hmm. and part of what the plan was in the conspiracy theory of QAnon so these conspiracy theories are really dangerous and here's the thing we're not teaching students to analyze evidence anymore oh no we're teaching them what to think not how to think mm. and that's what i think my book is trying to do with mm. the essence which is tell people or explain to people not tell people anything just give people tools and examples for examining evidence. Because if we lose that, we're in deep trouble. And and, uh, and absolutely, we're in the middle of that right now. And that's really what I want to say. And I want to end on this note is, you know, what you're bringing to life became the backbone of the Third Reich. That's really the fundamental essence of how things began in conspiracy theories of many, many kinds and many, many layers. And, you know, we are now faced in a world right now where part of the conversations of just about anything, you name it, it doesn't matter what it is. There's a conspiracy theory organization ready to tell you what it is and what it's not. And so this is the time we live in. And your book is really shining a light on all of that that says, okay, here we are, and we can do something about it. And that's what's so important about this today. Thank you for everything you're doing. Please tell people how they can find out more about you, how they can find out about your book. So thank you. People can find out all about me by going to scottshay.com, S-H-A-Y, and they can, I write articles about all sorts of things. I've written books on faith and on uh, questioning faith and atheism because I think analyzing and coming to one's own conclusion I think is critical Mm -hmm. for everything that we do. And they can pre-order the book, which is about to come out on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, or when it's out, bookstores, any place that sells quality books. But it's easy to pre-order on Amazon. And I'm really hopeful that this book makes a major difference. And I've already had people who have read it say it's changed the way they're thinking yeah. about where they're going to send their children to college. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for everything, Scott. Hey, everybody, let's take a short break. We'll be right back.
expressed on this program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station, its management, or advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. For your meditation, choose a position that allows you to relax. So either sitting up with your back supported so it can be nice and straight or lying down flat on your back if that's comfortable for you. However, you can really just relax. And we're just going to start by letting your eyes close and letting your breath begin to take over in your awareness. So that means maybe you're elongating your breath a little bit, or maybe you're just noticing it. You're just noticing where you feel it in your body. So just being with your breath. either following it along in your body or guiding it to a place in your body where you want it to go. Maybe noticing places where you are holding tension in your body and inviting a little bit of openness by directing your breath there. Maybe releasing tension from the shoulders or the belly, the jaw, the forehead, neck. We're going to begin to guide the breath up and down the center channel of the body. So just imagining your breath flowing from the tip of your tailbone all the way up to the crown of your head on the inhale and then exhaling it back down to the tailbone. A few like that. And then we're gonna bring the earth in. So as you breathe in, you're actually breathing in now from the earth up into the tailbone, all the way up into the crown. And then you're breathing out from the sky all the way down through the crown and into the earth. And so we're gonna keep now inviting the earth and the sky into your breath process and feeling the earth come into the heart feeling the sky come into the heart. And if you're not feeling these things or you don't know what to do, just imagine it. It actually works wonders. That's part of the magic. And now allow your breath to be focused in the heart, feeling the heart begin to expand. And feeling the solar plexus below the heart also begin to expand. Somewhere in this space of the solar plexus and the heart, there is a spark of light that really is your soul's essence. It's who you really are, why you're really here. And I want you to bring your breath to that spark, wherever you imagine it might be living in your body, and let your breath expand the light of that spark. So as you breathe, this light of your soul's essence gets bigger. And it begins to fill your entire body. Every cell has this light. 
and the light becomes so big that it doesn't even fit in your body anymore and it begins to fill your energetic field, the space surrounding your body. And so just breathing this light, feeling it bathe you. And now imagining anything that it may be giving you trouble, causing you concern in your life. You can either bring that into your light field or extend your light field out so far that it holds those things too. And so we're just practicing bringing your true soul's essence, this magic that is already inside you, to your world and to the things that you interact with. Letting them be in your light. And this is not a meditation that needs to stop when you go out into the world. This feeling of your light is something that you can take with you into every interaction, into every situation. You do not have to have your eyes closed to do it. All you need to do is to be able to feel that little spark and enhance it and expand it with your breath. So just take another minute to really feel that light of your soul's essence of who you really are. It doesn't have to be clear to you in words. The feeling is what we're after. And if you imagine something that's giving you concern coming into that light, how does it shift? How does it transform? Is there some place in your body that's been aching that wants some extra light, send the light there. Let the light take over your brain, take over your eyes, take over your heart. It's just you, it's nothing outside you, it's just your truth. And now you can start to Deepen your breath, bringing your awareness back to your physical body, but not losing that light, not losing the feeling of who you really are. And you can open your eyes and join us back here. Hopefully you're feeling a little, a little bit, if not a lot more magical than you were a few moments ago. Hi everyone, this is Sherry Clark and welcome to Courage to be Seen. This shows for anyone who longs to take charge of their life, to create more success, accomplish their dreams, and to live in inspiring ways to be powerfully visible and visibly powerful. I'll be sharing stories with you from my own career and experiences, from leading engineering teams for the last 20 years, and also from interactions I have been blessed to have with people I've met from around the world. I want to give you the tools, techniques, strategies, and inspiration so you can be the best you. You can achieve the success you desire, personally and professionally. 
being authentic, confident, and empowered are the keys to success and the life that you want. You can have the courage to be seen. Hi, I'm Sherry Clark, and welcome to Courage to be Seen, the show that focuses on helping you achieve the success that you desire. I'll share with you the tools and techniques, stories and strategies, so you can have more courage in your life. You can be more authentic, more confident, and more empowered. The keys to success. So today, I want to start with a question. I wonder, have you ever, like, started something? Maybe it's something new. It could be anything from leading a project. Maybe you were volunteering at a charity event or, or even volunteering to do something at work, teaching a class, writing a blog. It doesn't really matter what it is. But maybe let's say you started something and you get going. Maybe you're even having a little bit of success. And then you start to doubt yourself. You start to wonder if you're enough. Are you even qualified for doing what you are? Do you start feeling like a fraud? Maybe that you even think that maybe you've misled and that you shouldn't be doing whatever you're doing. If you have any of these feelings, know that you're not alone. In fact, it's actually quite common. 70% of people feel this way at one time or another in their lives. It's so common, it's called imposter syndrome. It's the fear of being exposed as inadequate or unqualified. The Harvest Business Review defines it as imposter syndrome, is loosely defined as doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud. It disproportionately affects high-achieving people who find it difficult to accept their accomplishments. Many question whether they're deserving of the accolades. So does this describe you? Another author that I thought was interesting, Joyce Roach, the author of The Empress Has No Clothes, she writes, imposter syndrome is the fear and self-doubt that causes people to question their abilities even in the face of success, and to constantly search for external validation. Simply put, it makes it difficult to recognize and celebrate one's strengths and accomplishments. So I think this is very interesting because the first thing, if it sticks out in both these definitions, you're successful. Like if you're not achieving success, then you won't maybe feel like or question you deserve success. So the imposter syndrome, you know, isn't people that are failing. It's people that are actually successful but don't feel like it. And then, then they question their abilities and they lose confidence. And they wonder, can they actually do the work? And it affects many people, but it really affects women more, more commonly, or at least it shows up um, more, more often in women. You know, as I researched this, I actually found some conflicting views. The first is kind of what you think, that there's a lot of information out there. It's a mental health issue. Um, it's you know, personal, it affects your self-confidence, um, and it's actually very commonly a topic at women's conferences. Most of them that you go to, you'll find something on imposter syndrome, and it comes up a lot, actually, I've seen in mentoring sessions. But there is a contrarian opinion, and I think it's worth at least talking about. The second opinion says we shouldn't use the name imposter syndrome at all. Imposter is almost like a criminal name, you know, like doing something wrong. So by labeling someone an imposter means that uh, you're criminalizing their behavior. And then syndrome is something that you talk about medically related. 
Like, is there something, are this person sick? Is there something you know wrong with them? So now we're talking about they're criminal and they're having a medical issue. And, you know, this is just like a wrong kind of a name for something that's naturally occurring that people are, hmm, I just wonder if I have some, some self-doubt. So the, the secondary opinion means that we never should use this name. Um, and then even more so that it talks about instead of it being like an internal issue, the reason people have imposter syndrome is more from some of the systemic issues we have in business and in culture today. And I think this is an interesting point of view. I always like to kind of look at both sides of, of any arguments and, and maybe we need to dig into this uh, further. So I don't want to dismiss it, but I don't want to concentrate it on today. Now, I don't really like the name imposter syndrome. I never have. And maybe now after I've read while it's criminalizing and, and giving people a medical diagnosis, maybe that's why imposter syndrome um, isn't the best name, but we're going to use it today. And we're not going to focus on this more systemic issue because I want to give you some tools that if you're feeling this way, that how do you deal with it? How do you overcome it? How do you not let it bother you? And if we focus completely on what's wrong with businesses and what's wrong with culture, then in, you're not being self-powered. You're not being in looking at it in a way that, hey, I can actually do something about it. So I would rather talk about at least things that you can use, some tools and techniques that you could go forward with when you are feeling this way. And then we'll leave the, the second point of view um, for, for another day. So as I said, there's 70% of people feel this way, this imposter syndrome at some point in their life. And some are very famous people. So I'd like to talk about a couple of them. The first one is Sheryl Sandberg, right? She's a very successful COO of Facebook. And she admitted that she has struggled with imposter syndrome and has written, every time I was calling in class, I was sure that it's about to embarrass myself. Every time I took a test, I was sure that it had gone badly. Every time I didn't embarrass myself, or if I even excelled, I believe that I fooled everyone yet again. One day soon, the gig would be up. You know, in, in what she wrote, one of the key things is, I fooled everyone. Right? In her mind, she was thinking she didn't deserve it. She probably was very smart on that, on that test, right? And she said, ah, oh, I fooled everyone. I was an imposter. Michelle Obama um, also has spoken and written about imposter syndrome, you know, many times. And admitted as a young woman, she used to lie awake at night asking herself, am I too loud? Too much? Dreaming too big? And then I just got tired of always worrying what everyone else thought of me, she said. So I decided not to listen. So here again, she's talking about having those feelings of being an imposter. And then at some point decided, you know, I'm kind of done with this. I'm just not going to listen. And you can do that too. So what's imposter syndrome look like? You feel like you don't belong. Like you shouldn't be doing something. You're afraid that you're going to be discovered by your friends and colleagues, people around you, not strangers, just the people around you as a fraud. That others are going to discover you don't actually deserve the job that you have or your accomplishments. 
You feel like you succeeded because of luck, not because of the hard work. You worry about, am I good enough? Sometimes people even say, you know, they sabotage their own success because they don't feel like they deserve it. So they make sure they're not as successful as they could be. You find yourself apologizing, even when you haven't done anything wrong. Or you may devalue your worth. And you live in a constant state of anxiety. This is shown by like, maybe you have a big talk the next day. So you overly prepare. You prepare for every question you could ever have. You stay up late, you prepare, you prepare, you prepare. You nail the talk. You just nail it out. And um, then you worry that, hey, it wasn't that um, the only way you actually nailed that was the fact that you worked so hard. You put all those hours in. So now you have to redo that. In reality, you didn't have to put that much work in. You, and you just keep doing that over and over and over again. So what type of people experience imposter syndrome? As I said, it is women more than men. But it's not like it's only women. This, this really can be anyone. The first type of people that experience imposter syndrome is perfectionists. That probably doesn't surprise you, right? We've talked about in the past that the easiest way to fail is to try to be perfect because you can't be perfect. So that de by definition, you will be a failure. But if you're trying to be perfect, then any small little thing will really stick out of your mind. So if you're trying to be a perfectionist, the chance is the first thing that you will feel is this imposter syndrome. Experts. So, you know, what are some of the experts that are around you? It could be like, you know, doctors are a great example of an expert. Like we go to them because they have this knowledge that we don't have ourselves. Lawyers, um, sometimes you could think engineers, or anyone that has that kind of expert opinion Many times they're afraid to admit they don't know. Or even if they know, they're afraid that people won't think that they're as knowledgeable as, as they are. And so then these type of people many times experience imposter syndrome. New speakers. So let's say someone's given a talk. Maybe they don't feel like they deserve to be listened to. And so they may experience imposter syndrome or they're like teaching a class like, hey, why, why do I deserve to be doing this? And so they start worrying and they have that self-doubt. As you can see, it really can be anyone, anyone that's not sure about their own abilities. It actually, though, does show up more in minorities. So if you're only female in the room or... Um, in any of your minority classes, you know, blacks and, and uh, different racial groups, when, when you don't have role models around you, other people that you can relate to, then sometimes you start wondering, is what you do good enough? Because you don't have that kind of external validation by seeing similar people to yourself. So the first thing I want you to think about when we talk about imposter syndrome is realize we're really talking about Feelings, and I know a lot of people don't like talking about feelings. The good thing is feelings are real, and we need to acknowledge them. But you can 
have some say in kind of what you feel. So I'm not saying that you want to like, not feel and you want to turn away from, from your feelings and pretend they're not there. But you could kind of question, like, why am I feeling that way? That is how you feel really a true reflection of the work that you're doing. So while you can do this, I will admit it can be hard. Feelings are kind of hard-coded in our brain sometimes, and they can be hard to change, but not, not impossible. So the first step that we want to deal with, if we want to overcome feeling like an imposter, is learn how to think like a non-imposter, right? So if you, if you feel like an imposter, you have to start thinking about people that don't feel like an imposter. And that might sound easy. Actually, it probably sounds incredibly hard. Right. But I want to go over with you some ways that we, we can do this. So if you're wondering, like, well, is this really what you're feeling? Is this really how, how you're doing? You can go online. You know, I searched and you can find dozens of tests online. So I'm not going to create my own. I just uh, recommend that you could if you're not sure what if what you're feeling is imposter syndrome or not, just search on it, Google it and um, and take one of the quizzes. Some of the questions that they'll ask you is. Are people, are you afraid that people will find that you're not as capable as they think? Kind of like, and usually most of the, the quizzes will ask you like, this sounds just like me. This sounds not like me or, or kind of in the middle. Maybe it'll rank, you know, one to five, um, how much it sounds like you. Um, another question that showed up in a lot of the quizzes is that you have less knowledge in a subject that people thought. Like this would really be the that the expert you're trying to explain something and you're afraid people are, will find that you don't know as much as they thought you did. Another one is if you receive praise, do you discount it? Is the reason things went well or that you were in the right place at the right time, not because of your hard work? Do you feel people are, around you are better than you? This is a big one, um, I think, in the day of social media. Because you can't really know what you can trust what you see anymore, right? People spend so much time and they modify their pictures to have like the perfect vacation and the perfect food and the perfect pose and the perfect body. And all that just makes us question ourselves. So don't let the influence of social media, you know, reflect on this and, and you question your self-worth um, in other parts of your life. One interesting question that I found was, uh, if I can do it, then I believe that anyone else can. Like, you start to think of, well, whatever you can do isn't special. So, like, well, it must be easy if I can do it. Um, do you obsess over the smallest flaws in your work? And do you avoid evaluations from others? Like, you're afraid to even find out what, what people say or, or what people really think of, of your work. So, like I said, if you're not sure, maybe it's easy to say, well, yeah, of course I feel like a fraud. Or, yeah, I, I have that self-doubt. As soon as I have a little bit of success, then I find myself kind of sabotaging it so I'm not overly successful or I'm limiting how successful I can be. Like, it's okay if I have one level of success, but I don't want to draw the attention to myself to have it layers two and three. 
So maybe you know you have imposter syndrome, but if you're not sure, go online, take a quiz, and um, it'll kind of point out to to you if you're having some of those those feelings or not. So what I really like to do though is take the rest of our time and focus on what you can do about it. Because just finding out, oh yeah, great, I have a name, I have imposter syndrome, I've had this self doubt. But if you don't have some tools and techniques that you could start implementing, like right now, like you can do something about this. You don't have to just say, oh, I'm sick. Now I have a label. I don't have to worry about it. No, I want you to actually start doing something different today. And so that way you no longer feel this way. You, that way you can achieve the success you've always wanted and feel like you earned it. You want to you have that feeling in your body like, yes, I did it. So the first thing I'm going to challenge you to do if you're feeling imposter syndrome is to develop a growth mindset. So you think about it. If you're constantly growing in all parts of your life, but if you're constantly doing something and growing, that means you're having to try new things. And when you start something new, you start at the beginning. You don't begin as an expert, right? So if you have a growth mindset, that means, hey, I always want to be learning. I always want to be expanding and doing more. And that means, okay, I'm going to try this new thing. And I'm going to start at the beginning and I'm not going to be potentially very good at it. I might fail, but I'm going to keep learning and I'm going to keep growing. And what you'll naturally feel as you do this, it becomes almost second nature. But hey, oh yes, like I start a new exercise routine and I'm not very strong, but then I work on it and I get better and better and I get more successful. And then I decide, oh, I've been lifting weights. Now I'm going to start running. And I start and I'm not very good. And then I work on it and I get better and better. And then maybe it is I want to start investing. So I'm going to start picking stocks. And I pick a few stocks and I'm not very good and I lose a little bit of money. But I keep working on it and I get better. And it doesn't matter what it is. And so what I challenge you is find things in your life that you can work on and grow. And some of them should be at work. You should continue to grow in your career, but they don't all have to be at work. You can focus on becoming a better cook, or you could be focused on really anything. I want to paint, you know, and as you grow and develop in areas of your life and you get used to starting as a beginner and then working on things and getting better, it actually will kind of flow into all parts of your life. So develop a growth mindset. The second one is I want you to do some journaling. And I want you to write down the negative thoughts that you're feeling. And maybe it is the self-doubt, the, the feeling like a fraud, that you're non-deserving. Whatever these negative thoughts are, write, write them down. And then next to it, I want you to write down the counter-argument of why this isn't true. What, what is the positive piece that you should be thinking about rather than this negative piece because you want to fill your mind you want to fill your life you want to fill that self-talk within you in positive ways so dispute each one of those negative thoughts write out in your journal why is that not true and this is this you'll find it is huge that way when it does come up oh i feel like a fraud no no no. in my journal i wrote xyz and this is incredibly useful. So don't, don't dismiss this. Take some time and really acknowledge those things that you're having and then write them out. Because focusing on the positive is huge. You can also journal on topics like, you know, what core beliefs do I hold about myself? 
You know, maybe it's that, you know, you're smart or you're strong or you're trustworthy, uh, you're a hard worker, whatever those core beliefs are. You're a good parent, uh, you're a good partner, um, good friend. Write that out. Another question to answer yourself in your journal is, do you believe you're worthy of love? A lot of people have these stuff out because they don't think they're enough. Because we want to feel love. We want to feel connection. Write out your feelings about that. And then the last question I'd ask the journal about is, must I be perfect for others to approve of me? I have to admit, a lot of my life, I, I lived kind of in this realm, thinking I had to be perfect. And I tell you, once you can let go, at least of some of that perfectionism, um, your life just gets so much better. So what are your feelings around that? Focus on being positive. Focus on, on the good in your life. With this, embrace success, even small wins. It doesn't matter what they are, but get used to embracing them. When people tell you a good job, tell them thank you. Don't tell them it was nothing. Don't tell them I was just doing my job. So often we dismiss the praise that we get that um, you can't do that. You can't do that. It makes us uncomfortable. I know it does. I've shared this story before, um, but I'm going to bring it up again. A few years ago, I, I won an award and uh, in Dallas, um, Women in Technology Award. And it was a, it was a big award. My uh, boss was flying in from Atlanta for the, the ceremony. A bunch of people from work were going. And um, it, was, it was a great time, right? Someone at work asked me, like, hey, you know, I, I heard uh, your boss is, is coming in on Wednesday or whatever day it was. And uh, and it was like, I dismissed. I kind of like was embarrassed. I was like, I'm going to say, yeah, well, he's uh, he's coming in for this award. Because like, they were surprised there wasn't a big agenda at work. He wasn't really coming in to to do anything work-related. He was coming to, to allow to see me receive this award. But instead of embracing it, hey, I got, I'm excited I got this award. It was like, uh, yeah, well, he's coming in um, and we have this award to go to. You know, you don't want to be that way. Embrace your success. Tell people thank you when they tell you a good job. Practice visualization. So if you're struggling with whatever it might be, you know, in your mind, see yourself being success. See yourself embracing that. What, is it, what does it sound like? What does it look like? What does it smell like? What it, you know, all your senses. You kind of want to embrace and be as visual as you can thinking about all your senses. The more you visualize this, then when you're actually in the situation, you won't feel so much like a fraud because you've already been there. The more you do it, it's like, oh, now it's second nature and you won't have those feelings come up as strong. And you do it over and over again, then you'll, it won't, it, like its effect on you will kind of diminish over time. Not right away, but it, it does, does help. You know, we talked about those negative statements. Make sure in your self-talk that you're changing them to positive statements. If you think about sometimes how harsh we are with our own talk to ourselves, like many times what you tell yourself, you would never say to anyone else. Think about what you're saying. Would you say that to a friend or another colleague? The chance is no. 
you wouldn't tell them that they're no good or that they aren't deserving. The chances you tell them, hey, great job. Tell yourself the same thing. Make sure your self-talk is, is positive. If you are having these kind of feelings, I suggest that you find a friend, a coach, a mentor to talk about. Sometimes just talking through that you're having these, these feelings can be very beneficial. Ideally, it could be a friend. It doesn't have to be anyone special. If you don't feel open enough, though, that you could trust your friend or because it's just, you don't, you don't want to even admit you have these feelings. Sometimes a coach or a mentor can be better because uh, it's independent, it's confidential. Um, so, so talk through it and you'll find that maybe once these words get out and you just admit that you have these feelings, that they won't be nearly as, as significant in your life. Don't compare yourself to others. Many times that's what this really is all about. Like you are thinking, oh, I'm not as good as the person in the next office. You really have to stop that. You know, you're asked to take over this project for a reason. You're asked to speak for a reason. So just embrace that and go with it and trust in your abilities. And I think you'll find that um, you will achieve the success that you want. Another thing that's not as simple is just think about how you hold your body. You know, having a power pose actually does give yourself more confidence. So make sure you're not like trying to like hide from everyone, but sit back in your chair, stand upright and, and have a positive body holding kind of overall and be assertive in just how you stand and how you sit. And you'll find out that that actually will affect your feelings, which then maybe you won't feel with so much self-doubt. Another thing you can do is do kind of what if statements and play in advance what would you do if and that way when it happens you already know the answer and then you don't have that chance for self-doubt because you're just now it's kind of that visualization um exercise that i talked about before the last thing is i want you to realize if you're having imposter syndrome that you are achieving some success in your life you wouldn't be having imposter syndrome if you weren't being successful. So embrace that. Know that, hey, just the fact that having these feelings means that there's some success in my life that's triggering me to feel this way. And maybe then that'll help you realize that, hey, I am successful. So the way that you can stop feeling like an imposter is to stop thinking like an imposter. If you do this, then more positive feelings will come and fill your life. So with that, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I encourage you to subscribe so that way you get a notification when the next episode comes out. Check me out on my website, CourageToBeSeen.com. You can find out all the information about me and my coaching program and my contact information. You can also um, follow me on Instagram or Facebook where I post motivational messages. So I, uh, I hope you enjoyed this and I hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you've been inspired to take action on at least one thing starting today. To learn more, check out CourageToBeSeen.com. There you'll find my blog and additional resources, including you can download a copy of 10 Ways to Live a More Courageous Life. Thanks again for listening and make sure you tune in next time to learn additional ways to have the courage to be seen in your own life.